Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Holland in for the judge, Scott Wapner, front and center this hour on this Friday. The road ahead for stocks as the S&P 500 eyes its longest weekly win streak in more than six years. The question, is this Fedfield rally just getting started or is it time to lock in some gains? Our investment committee is standing by to help tackle that question and really so much more. Joining us for the hour, Stephanie Link, Jim Labenthal and Brian Belsky right here at Post 9. Before we get the discussion started, let's get a check on the markets right now at noon Eastern. Looking at the Dow right now, uh, up fractionally, similar story for the S&P. The Nasdaq, the best performer right now, up almost a half a percent. Stephanie, you're right here to my left. Yes. I want to ask you, are you a believer in this rally? Do you think it's starting to get a bit stretched? What's your take on what we've seen post the Fed decision? I am a believer, and I have been buying, and we're going to talk about a new buy that right. I did last week. Um, I think this week we can, we can sum it up by saying this is the soft landing week officially, because if you look at the CPI, we have gone from 9.1% last year, and you're looking at a six-month annualized number right now at 2.8%. You're looking at retail sales with a control group, three month, uh, looking at the last three months at 4.4%. That's huge and a big surprise. Industrial production was actually better than expected today. Initial claims is running at about 205,000 four week moving average. That's nowhere near a recession, which is usually at around 375,000. So you add up all that, lower inflation, little bit better growth, that sets up earnings for next year, in my opinion, especially if you think that, that uh, the Fed is, has, is done and they will start to cut. I don't know when they're going to cut. They are going to cut, but they, well, I don't know when. But we've seen peak. He basically, t- Powell basically told you that, that, that it, we've seen the peak. And so to answer your question, all of this sets up well. And at the same time, the 493 stocks that haven't really participated as much as the Magnificent Seven are still, a lot of them are still very attractive. And that's where I want to be looking, not necessarily the Magnificent Seven. All right. So Stephanie's looking at the broader rally. Jim, I'm going to come over to you. What do you think of the market action that we've seen? Obviously, a big part of it is the mechanism of yields coming down, stocks rise. Do you think this is sustainable as we go into the end of the year? A lot of people were calling for a Santa Claus rally. Did we maybe get that early? Um, so, first off, I completely agree with what Steph says, and that's no big surprise there, um, uh, both because she's brilliant and because she's saying what I generally believe. But I want to add one modification that's not an element of disagreement. I, I have trouble with the question, uh, you know, is the rally sustainable? And here's why, and I'm really speaking to you watching the program, dear viewer. It is highly likely that over the next one to three weeks that there will be a pause, a pullback, because we've had one torrid rally. When that pause or pullback happens, if it's two, three, four percent, it is highly likely that market commentators will be telling you, see, see, this is what we told you. The bears will come out of the woodwork. They'll be saying, here we go. We're going to plumb new lows. No, that is not the case. What Stephanie just 
said is a long-term outlook with which I completely agree. And I don't want you, dear viewer, to get caught up in a momentary downturn and start selling like crazy. Now you can look in your portfolio and you may see a stock or two that is ahead of itself. Yesterday I pointed out that I, I sold Nike. It's up 27% in two and a half months. And maybe it's got future gains ahead of it. That's great. But for me, that was just too much too fast. Um, that does not take away from the long-term outlook, which Steph just uh, outlined. But I want to state it again. The other 493 stocks is where you should be looking. And oh, by the way, outside of those 493, small caps as well. So Farmer Jim using SAT words like torrid, uh, humble bragging <laughs> about the Nike gains. Brian Belsky, I'm going to come over to you. Speaking about outlook, uh, your base case for next year, 5,100 on the S&P yep. to end the year. That's about an 8% rise from where we are right now. So what do you think about the action we've seen this week and throughout the end of the year? We like it. And, you know, quite frankly, we have no value add to, to bring into this because we agree with both things that they said. I, and I do think, dear viewer, that if there are, <laughs> I love that, by the way, um, if there are pullbacks, you know, you buy, I, you buy the dip. But, you know, I, I do think the bears can't wait for any kind of downside. They just can't wait. And I do believe that things get swishy. I mean, a lot of people that we talk to, you guys have been in this a long time. Come Wednesday, there's not going to be anybody around. I think things are going to slow down. And I think this year, given what's happened on Wall Street this year, it's been a tough year. We, a lot of people lost their jobs, pays down. I think people are going on vacation the last two weeks of the year, for sure. And then I think people are going to re-engage the week of, of January 8th. So the one thing that's driving me crazy, though, Frank, is yeah. you have people on this network saying, it's too late to buy. It's too late to buy because the stock market's at all-time highs. You know, my very first mentor on Wall Street was William O'Neill. And he taught me that you have to ride your winners. You ride your winners. And guess what the winner is right now? U.S. equities. Right. And so I do believe, and this has been our call now for several months, that we're going to see a broadening out, and it's happening before our very eyes. You know, we're kind of focusing on what the bears could or could not say. But, I, Brent, I think you're kind of a bull. I mean, you got your bull case kind of. for next year is 5,400, <laughs> so another double-digit year on the markets. Yeah. So give us a sense. Do you see some twists and turns in the year like the pharmacies, or we just keep going? No, I think we're going to see twists and turns. You know, last year, I mean, 2023 was really interesting because much of the initial strength in 2023 was due to tax loss selling and people came back in and bought the tech stocks. That was kind of the first big wave. I think this year it's going to be much more fundamental. I'm calling it the age of stock picking, the golden age of stock picking, where we're starting to see dispersions increase across sectors, even dispersions within the MAG-7. So I don't think you have to own all the MAG-7. So I think it is going to be choppier than most people think. But if we hit our earnings, earnings number on our bull case, which is $260, our base case is $250, we're going to be well above 5100 and closer to our 5500 bull case. Frank, can I, can I do one thing? And this may set up Michael Go over ahead. here, okay? Yeah, In terms of your question, you just asked Brian, like, what, you know, is it going to be a straight line? Of course, it's never a straight line, right? It's well, not going to be a straight line. Straight so what could be the catalyst that knocks things down? I think actually this rate cut debate is what could knock things down. The market pricing in six rate cuts. If that happens, that's a negative on the economy. That's not a good Good thing. And I think there's a lot of people out there who are saying historically when the Fed cuts rates, that's negative for the markets. I'm going to say something dangerous, which is if you look at the last three years, historical precedent has been thrown out the window. This has been three years of things are different. Sorry, I'm going to say it. So this may be a case that when the Fed cuts rates, it's actually not a negative signal. It's just that inflation has come down enough to let them do so. But we should not be hoping for six rate cuts. And I cuts. know you agree with me on this, but I think it really boils down to earnings. And I think if the Fed is done, even if they don't cut, if they're done 
and inflation has been coming down and rates are drifting lower. That's very positive on the margin side of the equation. And if we can grow 2% GDP, like that kind of number, which it looks like we're, we're, we're kind of getting there, I think that bodes well for the top line too. And I think the companies, if it's not, if they can't grow the top line as much as they want, they'll cut costs. Another reason why margins will hang in there. And so I think earnings are actually poised to accelerate next year. And I think that's the most important thing, more important than the Fed. Which nobody believed that this year, right? That's right. Nobody believed it this year and earnings blew everybody away. Yes. And now we're still hearing the same yeah. rhetoric. I and I think it's going to be a repeat in terms of surprising to the upside in terms of earnings. So I want to get back to that cut, that uh, rate cut debate that Jim was just talking about right now. We have a new voice entering that discussion. It's a Fed president. The Fed president saying it's just too soon to be discussing rate cuts. Our Steve Leesman asked John Williams about the market pricing in rate cuts as soon as March. Here's what he had to say. I just think it's, it's, it's just premature to be even thinking about that, that question. Right now, the question that's in, uh, that we're thinking about it at the FOMC is, do we have the level of rates right? As Chair Powell said, you know, there's these phases of how we thought right. about monetary policy. You know, have we got this, uh, the, the stance of policy uh, sufficiently restrictive? And then, of course, we'll be watching the data to, to make sure that we're getting that appropriate policy. To me, the debate is not, you know, it is premature to really think Think about like what ex- what we will be doing sometime uh, well into the future. That's not the question in front of us. All right, John Williams says it's all premature. Let's bring in our next guest, Michael Faroli, chief U.S. economist at J.P. Morgan. Michael, thank you for being here at Post Nine. Good to be here. So, what was your take on what you heard from John Williams? He says it's too premature, but correct me if I'm wrong. We saw the dot plots. It looks like the Fed is talking about yeah. it. Yeah. So I don't think he's totally pouring cold water on the idea of rate cuts. I do think, however, March is probably premature. I mean, that's really uh, two meetings from now, uh, only three payroll reports between now and then. So I, I think you'd have to have a pretty significant deterioration in the economy, unlike I don't think what any of us are expecting to get to a March cut. That said, clearly second half cuts are not just what the median dot portrays, but a vast majority of the committee is looking for a number of cuts uh, this year. So I don't think the idea that cutting in 20, I'm sorry, next year. So I don't think the idea of cutting in 24 is totally at odds with what Williams is saying, but I do think he's trying to pump the brakes here a little bit on the enthusiasm after after Wednesday. We've seen various points of view about when those cuts are going to come. I had the privilege earlier this week of speaking to Morgan Stanley, chief economist. He believes it's June. We're going to show the audience just a variety of different uh, times that people believe a cut is going to come. When is uh, an appropriate time? When is it not premature to expect that cut to come? And how do you see the market reacting until we get that cut? Yeah, so we're also at June for a first cut. As I said, we could see earlier only if the labor market really deteriorates. I think June will be appropriate because we'll probably have core PC inflation running by about two and a half percent by then, which is, I think, close enough to what the Fed's looking for to start to, as Chair Powell said, dial back some of the restraint. Uh, however, you know, if we stall in this progress in inflation that Stephanie mentioned earlier in the second half of this year, then that could push that timing out. So, But we think June is probably a good placeholder for now. Yeah, we're just showing the audience for now. Citigroup actually saying July, so kind of further out there. Um, I want to ask you about bond yields. I want to open it up to everybody here. But the action we're seeing on bond yields, what is your take? We're seeing a bond rally. Yields are lower. It seems like just that mechanism. Stocks go higher. Give yeah. us a sense of your outlook of how this plays out for the last couple days of the year. Yeah, so we were surprised, I suppose, by the, the intensity of this bond move, right? I mean, right now, rates are about what our year-end target for next year is. So we got there really quick. 
so we do think there's probably some scope for this to reverse a little bit in coming uh, coming days. But uh, I think fundamentally rates lower from where they were pre-meeting makes sense. However, it was a pretty uh, aggressive move. Yeah, a really aggressive move on the 10-year, down about 25 basis points from where it was, uh, where it opened the morning of the Fed rate decision. I'm going to open it up to you guys. Uh, Michael, you know, you're going to face the gauntlet right now. A lot of questions <laughs> about where this is all going. Oh, Michael, on, I'll start with, if, how about QT? When yeah. are they going to address that? Because it certainly yeah. sounded like they're not even close to yeah. changing their no. stance on that. No, I think that was uh, pretty clear in both what Powell and Williams has said, is that QT and the rate cycle are on different uh, different tracks. And so our best expectation is that QT probably goes through the end of next year. In other words, even after we're cutting rates, we think the Fed will continue to, to And what do you think that does to the yield curve? Uh, right now, we don't think it's having a really big effect, right? I mean, we do think uh, as QT ends, um, we could see that have a small effect. But right now, as I said, not, not a big effect. Yeah. Michael, what's your call on unemployment? I mean, these numbers that we're seeing, particularly yeah. initial weekly jobless claims, are yeah. stunning. Yeah. Um, on an absolute level, 200,000. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and directionally, there's just no signs of cracking. What no, do you think happens? Yeah, you're right. And we have been pleasantly surprised by how low the unemployment rate has been this year and how strong the job market has been. We still do expect for next year some weakening in overall economic activity as some of the lagged effects of these rate cuts continue to hit the economy. We also think we probably get a little bit less fiscal accommodation next year. So on net, we are looking for growth to slow. We do have the unemployment rate drifting a little above 4%, but certainly I don't think in our expectation is that anything, um, you know, we're not looking for a recession. Uh, and as I said, or as you both pointed out, the claims numbers this week and recently have really been quite phenomenal. So Michael, I have a two-part question. How do you feel as a long-term Fed watcher and actually being there for a while about the efficacy of Fed funds futures because they were wrong this year. That's part number one. Number two, is there any kind of scenario that you see the Fed does nothing next year? So uh, in terms of market expectations for the Fed, uh, they've been wrong for a couple years because we as a community have been somewhat wrong on inflation and we missed how strong this inflation move was gonna be in 21 and 22. We missed how strong the disinflation absent a recession has been this year. Uh, so it's just been a very unusual economic environment, and that's just life, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of your second question was... Uh, Is there a scenario that you yeah. see that the Fed does nothing? So I think you would have to have, again, we talked about over the second half of this year, core PC inflation is running around two and a quarter. If that improvement were to cease in the first half of next year, and certainly there are some bear cases on inflation, I think that could leave funds unchanged for the for the duration of the year. But that would be, I think, a pretty bad turnaround in terms of the inflation news we've been getting. Michael Froley, one quick question: Are, are you given an S&P price target for next year? You got a bull sitting right next to you, bull case 5400. Where are you sitting at? So, fortunately, I'll leave that to you guys. As a shop, we are a little more cautious on uh, on equities uh, for next year. A wise answer. Michael Ferroli, really a pleasure to have you here at Post 9. Thank you very much for being our Thank you. halftime headliner. Thank you again. All right, we're going to keep it moving right now, just continue this conversation. Something I want to bounce off all of you as we continue to look at this rally. Um, a note that came out from Barclays today I thought was really interesting. Uh, headline here, bumpy start to 2024. They cite it's an election year, also the start of a Fed cutting cycle and added, uh, aided by light positioning and a dovish Fed, the year-end rally is essentially borrowing from 2024 returns, leaving less room for upside next year. So a bit of pessimistic about what the action we're going to see next year. Jim, you're looking at me. You give me the squinty eyes. Well, yeah, I, I 
not you, but the, the comment has some things I agree with and disagree with. The borrowing from next year's gains, I mean, I think Steffi really covered that in the beginning. Right. No, it's not borrowing from next year's gains. There's a lot of runway left for the 493 other stocks and small caps. So just let's put that to bed, at least for now. But the, the political situation is interesting, okay, because people who are longtime veterans know that the primaries are where things get wonky in terms of politicians on both sides and both parties saying extreme things to appeal to their most rabid uh, base. And then, you know, once the primaries are done, more sane uh, policies are what's being discussed. So I would not be surprised if in the late spring there's a lot. I mean, just remember, go back to 2016 on the Democratic side. Right. You had Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren making real inroads in the primaries, and that scared the markets a little bit. You should expect a little bit of that, but history shows that things come back to the center after the primaries are over. So don't fall for that. Don't sell into that. You watching well, the primaries, yeah, too? No, remember, too, that uh, they moved up a lot of the primaries and caucuses as well. So there's going to be a lot of noise right away. And this is a market and market participants that love to react. Act. And so we've we've said that, you know, if you take a look at presidential election cycles, you know, when the when the Democrat, when there's a president that's a Democrat that's running for re-election, it's usually positive for performance. But that's just a, that's just a statistic on the on the robbing Peter to pay Paul type of comment. Uh, let's just keep uh, paying Paul, because I think you, I, it's going to be really difficult to try to time this market. And I think that we're trying to be too cute by saying we're taking too much of 2024 gains right now. I think it's all about mean reversion. Right, the S&P equal rate is actually still has still underperformed the S&P market cap weight year to date by 13%. So if you believe in mean reversion, at least in the first quarter or first half of the year, I think that's where you want to go. And that's what we were talking about earlier. I think there's a lot of ideas out there to be had. All right. I don't know. You, you said it's the halftime report. This is more like the halftime rodeo with all the bulls here. Um, I don't know. You want to call up a bear? You want to call an audible here? We, we are calling somebody a little bit late. We're going to have a special guest appearance. But first, we want to get to some committee moves. And I'm going to come right back to Steph. Yeah. You bought Charles Schwab. So they did get a price target increase today. But really, this stock's been on a run since November 29th. Big upgrade from Piper saying, if we get cuts next year, yeah. stock's going to take off. It certainly has up about 20% since that November 29th upgrade. Yeah. Uh, what made you buy now? And I've, earned, I've owned it before, and I took gains. But I bought it back because the stock is still down 15%, and interest rates are coming down, and the cash sorting issues and concerns are going to abate as rates pull back. NNA also is poised to recover. Actually, it's accelerating to about 3.7% for the uh, current quarter, up from one7 last quarter. Uh, they have the Ameritrade cost synergies. And I think normalized earnings could be something like 525. That makes this stock 13 times forward estimates. Best in class, number one in the industry. So I think I'm getting good, a good, good name on, uh, on sale. So talk me through this one part right here. So according to the Investment Company Institute, there's about a record $6 trillion sitting on the sideline yep. in money market accounts. I would assume Schwab has some money market accounts where that cash is sitting. Does that immediately or, or just obviously go into equities? Where does that money go or does it maybe just sit there? It could sit there, but as rates come down, why would you want to sit with a lower rate, right, with the lower yield? I mean, when rates were at five, five and a half, and that's that's one thing, right? If they right. come down, it's less attractive. And if equities, if I'm right on earnings and equities, stocks follow profits, and I'm right on the profit piece of it, then I think you're going to have better returns in the equity markets overall. And so maybe you will see that money coming off the sidelines. All right, Schwab up just over a quarter of a percent right now. Coming up on halftime, more trades from the committee. Kevin Simpson, that's the call we're going to make, Jim, making some new moves in his portfolio. He joins us with those halftime back in just two minutes.
Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. We have some more committee moves to hit. Joining us now is Kevin Simpson of Capital Wealth Planning. Kevin, what do you got? Well, it's been a busy week, huh, Frank? Absolutely, we, absolutely. <laughs> so we added a new position this week in waste management, uh, old school moat company, just the kind of stock that we like. Top, top line beat on earnings, bottom line beat on earnings. They're expecting and forecasting high single digit, low double digit earnings for next year with inflation coming down and non-cyclical industrial. It just plays into our theme of really looking at uh, the, the infrastructure bill, infrastructure America, and this kind of hedges Caterpillar and John Deere, which if there is a bit of a recession or any kind of pullbacks, this gives us a little bit of a hedge in the industrial space. The other thing I will mention is that they've been increasing the dividend over the past five years by about 8% per year, which is something that really checks the box for us. Yeah, Kevin, I was going to ask, I always know you to be a dividend investor. Dividend here only 1.6%, but you also <laughs> like companies where the dividend increases. So you mentioned it's a hedge on deer. We have a, a deer bull right here. Jim Labenthal, what do you think about this idea of waste management being a hedge? I'm, I'm not sure I see it. I mean, I, I can see waste management as uh, standing alone on its own merits. Um, by the way, Kevin, just side note here, is that a dog barking in the background? Because a little bit of show business insider tip here. If you're pitching a stock, you don't want to hear a dog barking. I, 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 not this time. I mean, usually there is a dog in the office, but not today. Speaking okay. of which, you know, I, like you, Jim, I own Caterpillar and, uh, and Deer right now. So, I mean, I'm leaning into it. But I think if we're talking about something that's a little bit less cyclical, you know, waste is something that uh, we, we always have to deal with regardless of what's happening in the economy. Yeah, speaking of, uh, I want to get some of the other moves. You bought more Caterpillar. You own some of that, as you said. Um, I want to talk about your other one, IBM. Um, legacy tech there. Also, kind of more your, your kind of uh, wheelhouse here. Big dividend here, 4% dividend. But why buy IBM right now? Well, I know Stephanie likes it as well, but we're looking at a stock here that pays a 4% plus dividend. You've got a forward multiple of 17. They kind of broke out of a trading range that they'd been in for three or four years. So this is a stock that absolutely was behind the eight ball when it came to AI. But it seems to me like the acquisition of Red Hat is really providing some synergy that's allowing them to participate once again. They, they are not part of the Magnificent Seven. And if this broadening that we're starting to see, this broadening out continues into 2024, then we expect that this can be a beneficiary of that. And, and to your point, Frank, it's old school tech and we're an old school firm. 
All right, so Link, you got a big position in IBM as well. What do you think about him buying yeah. at this point? I actually don't think it's all tech anymore. I think it used to be all about mainframes, but now it is about AI, data center, cloud, and 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 Red Hat for sure. Um, so I like the store. I like the story a lot. I think it's cheap, not as cheap as it used to be. Um, it's also had a 35% run since the May lows, but it's still only up 16% on the year. So it's been a big lagger after being one of the best technology companies last year. So, but overall, I love what the company is doing. 75% of the total revenues is consulting and software and it's they're increasing their recurring revenue as well which will help margin so I'm there with you I think it's a good uh, it's a good idea Jim what do you think four percent dividend uh, I think IBM is something that we all need to be taking a look at uh, and we are uh, at Serity partners a very strong look at it you mentioned that it is still cheap at 16 times but you also said it's it's not old tech if it's not old tech that 16 times multiple is going to go a lot higher now the one thing that has always been a little bit squirrely for me about IBM is the balance sheet. They have a lot of debt on the balance sheet. In my opinion, that's what's held the multiple back. But you got to understand what that what that debt is for. It's to finance client acquisition. So it's not like, you know, they're using it to buy pencils and notepads. Um, so I look, I, I think there's a lot of interest here. And it's not just you, Stephanie. It's not just you, Kevin. A lot of people are talking about IBM. It's it's on everybody's radar screens. Billion, they're guiding 10 billion free cash flow by 2025. That's pretty nice. Yeah. I mean, I understand your debt concerns, but I'm not that concerned, just yeah. to be clear. I'm saying yeah. that historically, that's why the multiple's been so low. Mm. Brian, what do you think about these two moves? I, I know you are a bit of a believer in waste management, right? Yeah, we've owned waste management in various portfolios for about 10 years. We just think it's a great defensive name to own, especially within a sector, industrials, which is the most eclectic sector in the S&P 500. And we are probably less bullish on global growth the first six months of the year, so I think it's going to be more difficult for the cats and deers. We own Parker Hannafin's more our play on the machinery side. But uh, with cash flow yields above the dividend yield, with respect to waste, that's the kind of stock you want to buy in a dividend growth environment, which I think dividend growth is going to have a huge comeback yeah. next year, like huge. It's going to be great. It's been terrible this yeah. year. So speaking of dividends, uh, Kev, you're all about the dividends. I want to talk to you about one of your other moves. Covered calls on Coca-Cola. Give us the elevator version of why you're doing that right now. Well, you know, we always try to write covered calls, Frank, when we see a little bit of volatility. And there was a situation where Coke had come down, almost fell off the cliff at $53. We went in and bought the position. We got some nice premium on it. We have a $59 potential exit here today. It's only on half the position, but it gives us an 11% trade on it. Sometimes you get called away on things. It's a stock that we like. We're still going to own it, but, but we have no problem taking a little bit of profit here. And Brian, I'm going to pray that um, from your mouth to God's ears with dividend growth, that's the world in which we live in. And it well, seems know, like this week's the, the first time we've gotten a pulse on anything. Well, you Caterpillar's know, up 20 sticks this week, and I, uh, I, I very rarely get a chance to you, say that. You know how it works, Kevin. You know, you talk to wealth advisors, and they sell whatever didn't, didn't work last year, and then they buy whatever. And, and we saw that last year in some of the tactical money that we ran, and they bought dividend growth. And the, the inverse, I think, is going to happen this year. I think dividend growth and value and small cap is going to have an amazing year in 2024. All right, Kevin Simpson, Waste Management, Caterpillar buys, sold the covered calls on Coca-Cola. Kevin, great to see you as always. Thanks, All right, time now for the headlines with our Bertha Coombs. Bertha, always great to see you as well. You too, Frank. The jury has resumed deliberations today in the defamation trial against Rudy Giuliani. He's already been found liable for defaming two former Georgia election workers. Ruby Freeman and her mother, Shea Moss, are seeking $24 million each for his baseless accusations of election fraud against them. 
The Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York said today that it has agreed to return 16 major artworks to Cambodia and Thailand that were associated with a now-dead Met donor and art dealer who was indicted for legally trafficking in ancient artifacts. The Met's been under pressure from the Cambodian government to return items that it said were taken from the country during its decades of civil war. And after losing 63 to 21 to the Raiders on Thursday night, which was one of the worst losses in franchise history, the LA Chargers coach Brandon Staley is out of a job. The team announced today that it is parting ways with Staley and general manager Tom Telesco. Team says it will name an interim coach and GM soon. Well, maybe some of the guys there on the desk might be interested. Frank, back over to you. <laughs> uh, it's a job in L.A., Bertha. I think a lot of people would be interested. <laughs> Bertha Coombs, always great to see you. Thank you very much. All right, coming up next, we have our chart of the day. It's the surge in semis. The group is pacing for its best year in the last 20 years. The committee debates the chips in the year ahead. Halftime returns right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Halftime. Let's get to our chart of the day. The semis hitting a new record high today, right now up 1%. The sector up 72% this year, having its best year since 2003. Broad ownership of chips here on the desk. Steph, start with you. Yeah. What do you think? Can this rally in chips continue into next year? A lot of it's AI enthusiasm. Does that continue? Uh, I do think it continues, maybe not at the pace like this year. Um, and I think you want to have certain end market exposure. Um, if you think that kind of auto is actually recovering, I think you want to have that. I think networking is recover is, is definitely on the mend. You want to definitely have, have that. And wafer fab equipment, I think, is definitely has bottomed and is going to recover. So I have exposure into two names, Broadcom, which I love, but it's up 27% in a week. And it's totally re-rated, yet at 24 times trades much below the 40 times that NVIDIA trades at. And you do get a AI exposure, and now you have VMware, and their software mix is now going to be 40% of total revenues, and you get recurring revenues on that as well. So I will stick with that, but be very careful. I certainly wouldn't be chasing it right here. Lamb Research is definitely wafer fab equipment uh, is bottoming. The company's already raised the numbers twice this year, and I think you are going to see that. And that plays into AI too, which doesn't get a lot of play. You need a lot of memory for AI, and this is one of the ways to, to do it. So Jim, you have NVIDIA AI play Qualcomm, also NXP Semi, that's the one I want to talk to you about. That's an autoplay with interest rates going down. Does that change your outlook on an NXP Semi and other chip makers that feed into that auto market? The lowering of interest rates certainly helps. Right. Um, that's not necessarily central to the thesis on autos, though, because there's been such pent-up demand for autos. First, the chip uh, shortage that we had a couple of years ago, then the UAW strike. Inventories are very low, and they need to be produced. They're, they're likely to be bought because the average age of cars is 12 and a half years. They need to be replaced. But even if we're just talking about restocking inventories, that absolutely helps NXP. Mm -hmm. Also, I want to make this point that I think what we're talking about in the chip space is emblematic of the market overall, particularly with regards to broadening. So we know that the AI names 
have done very well, NVIDIA being top of that list. But now you're seeing that broadening to non-primarily uh, you know, non AI names like NXP, like Qualcomm. And you're starting to see some enthusiastic reports about end markets like laptops, like mobile, like telephony, like Internet of Things. So that broadening of the market is going to help. At the same time, if I look at NVIDIA, this is, I've said this in the last few weeks, this is now a cheap stock. This is a company that the operational results have been so fabulous that it's trading now at 24 times forward earnings. And I'm going to tell you, for that earnings growth rate, that's a cheap That's a cheap multiple. All right, Brian, you got a lot of chip ownership uh, in different portfolios. Uh, yep. AMD in your tactical, NVIDIA in your tactical. But I want to talk to you. You're barbelling with Broadcom and Qualcomm. Yeah, we are. So we've been adding to Qualcomm in, in other portfolios. We've had Qualcomm in our dividend growth for a while. But I think it makes a lot of sense, given the fact of the broadening out, number one. Number two, it's going to be really difficult to match those positions because NVIDIA is obviously a very big stock with respect to market cap. But if you're if you're running more concentrated portfolios, Frank, and you've got a 2% position matching up with a 2% position in Qualcomm, I think that will help diffuse some risk. And you'll participate with the reversion to the mean, normalization type trade in, 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 in the overall market. And tech, too, as well as being so strong last year, I think there's going to be different performance. Really quick before we get going on this one, uh, Bernstein out with a note on NVIDIA today headline the AI budget buy talking about Nvidia so that kind of feeds into your your argument you guys agree disagree I mean price target of 700 from Bernstein on this one but right now Jim kind of spelled it out do you think it's actually a discount almost on Nvidia right now yeah I mean Nvidia honestly I mean you when you're looking at major fundamental trends, and AI is a fundamental secular trend, you want to own the category killer company that is the best at it with the best management, the best product, and that's NVIDIA. All right. As we mentioned, semis hitting an all-time high today, up 1% right now. All right, coming up, Costco pops. The retailer beats the street and declares a special dividend. The desk debates the state of the consumer. Plus, we get you set up for some key earnings coming our way next week. Halftime, back right after this. Welcome back to halftime. Costco moving higher today. Shares up 4.5% right now, hitting a new record high. Following better than expected earnings, the company posting a beat on the top and the bottom lines. Costco also issuing a special $15 dividend. Belsky, you own this one. I sure do. Have for 11 years. I think if you had 25 stocks, if this is one of them, you absolutely positively have to own. It's a great company. Uh, great vision. They run their stores in terms of scarcity versus capacity. They, they killed it during COVID. Uh, and you look at the trials and tribulations of Walmart and Target, and then you just stick with Costco. We, we Our two picks, and our two stocks and staples are Walmart and Costco. Costco by far is our biggest position. All right, seems like we have a consensus here on this one. We want to move on to next week. We got a FedEx and Nike reporting earnings. So Jim, you just sold Nike yesterday, but Steph, yeah. you own it. I do. I own it. Um, yes, it's up a lot from its lows, but it's still only up 4% year to date. Uh, still trades below its long-term uh, average in terms of the multiple. It's not cheap at all. I'm not going to sell you on that, but I do think strong products and brands led by Jordan uh, is really powerful. DTC conversion will help margins. Inventories are just starting to fall, and that is going to help also margins. And we did learn from Costco yesterday that freight costs helped them an awful lot, and I expect the same for, for Nike. So overall, I still like it. I know it's up a lot, and I I know there have been a lot of upgrades in the last couple of weeks, too, which is a little makes me a little bit nervous in the short term. But I think this is just getting going, especially on the inventory side. To your point, uh, container shipping costs down about 90 yes. percent year over year really helps Nike produce a lot of those sneakers overseas. So, Jim, got to ask, why'd you bail? Well, 
First off, I, I wouldn't say that I'm not positive on Nike, okay? And, and so I actually, you know, a lot of times you sell a stock, Frank, and you're like, boy, I hope it goes down now. It's not the case with Nike. I mean, I think it's a fabulous company. I just, I was very patient in waiting for it to bottom, waiting for that one earnings report, the last earnings report, where it looks like things are turning around. I hope they continue. But the timing just worked out for me. Sometimes it's how it goes, folks. And up 27% in two months, that's the sort of return I'd like to have over 12 months, over a full year. So I decided to ring the cash register. And it's also psychologically, you know, going into next week, I would be biting my nails about giving up some of that 27% return if for whatever reason the earnings report disappoints on any measure. I think Nike's an excellent long-term hold, but sometimes you get a gift like this and you okay. just got to move on. Let's stick with that freight cost thing. We're going to talk about FedEx coming up next week. Belsky on this one. I do want to point out, I uh, just came out on CNBC.com, FedEx, one of the most overbought stocks in the market right now, according to CNBC.com. What are you expecting from this report? Well, I think the earnings are going to be pretty good. We have a tailwind uh, given the, the holiday season. Again, uh, all the costs with respect to containers and also uh, fuel costs, remember, too. We've had a pullback in, in oil, and that's, been, that's going to be really important for the, uh, because of the, the freight side of things. So, no, we own it. It's, it's been, I know Scott loves it when we say this, it's one of our smaller positions in industrials. <laughs> but, but we like it longer. We really like that name longer term. So, spoke to Raj Subramanian, CEO, just a few weeks ago. He said, soft, everything soft, not only here in the U.S., but globally. Not concerned about that? Globally, no. I mean, because they make their bread and butter here in the United States and North America. I think globally, that's part of it. But the economy is still strong, and we're still buying stuff, and I think it's going to be a flurry. And people, you know, they've been waiting too long, and FedEx is going to be charging them extra to, to, to expedite their, their uh, packages next week. One of the things they've been able to do under this new CEO is really to contain costs. They had so much in terms of overhead. And yeah. so even if the top line's a little squishy, I think they're going to be able to do it, pick it up on the margin side and also probably get some pretty decent pricing. Totally. In all fairness, some of that's the macro environment. Some of that was some activist investors. So it was a combination of Whatever forces. Whatever it takes, right? But investors clearly have a lot of confidence in Raj Subramanian. Uh, shares up over 1% right now. All right, coming up, our calls of the day. Big analyst activity in the financials, industrials, cybersecurity, and much more. We're trading all of it when halftime returns. Welcome back to Halftime Report. Let's get to our calls of the day. A street fight is brewing over BlackRock. Shares down about a third of a percent right now. J.P. Morgan downgrading the stock to neutral, but Morgan Stanley says it's a top 2024 pick. Jim and Brian, you both own it. Not hearing any dogs barking on this one, Brian. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about uh, BlackRock right now? We love it. We we've owned it for three in three or four different portfolios, both in Valley and especially in our dividend growth. This is a company that continues to grow the dividend, steady, steady, steady. And from a thematic perspective, uh, in financials, you want to own scalable assets, and the asset management business is scalable. So we love BlackRock. Yeah. Um, the call here, price target of 708. That's a big decline from where it's at right now. Concern that analysts might be right on that? No, I mean, no. Listen, <laughs> so laughable. Wow. Well, here's the. Oh, it's Friday. <laughs> yeah. So you have to understand the whole analyst side of things, yeah. right? So analysts are under pressure. They have to have certain percentage of buy, hold, and sell. They try to create some activity. Yeah. Some analysts are really good on stock picks. Some are good on earnings. Some are good on company themes. It's very rare to find one that's all of that. So I think sometimes we give too much credit for these types of calls. All right. I think this is really simple, all right? This is an asset management business. Assets, if you believe Steph, Brian, and myself, assets are going up next year over the next 12 months, meaningfully. So those assets under management are going up, and the fees for BlackRock are going up. I think it's that simple, folks. 
All right, moving on our calls today. GE, big upgrade today. Um, the upgrade was on a lot of uh, bullishness over them spinning off their aero business and also confidence in the management team. Yeah, this is a great management team. The stock's up 87% though year to date, so I don't know if I would necessarily chase it, but this is a simpler story. They spun off healthcare. They're going to spin out renewables and power in the first quarter of next year. And they're going to be an aviation powerhouse with double-digit um, organic growth and upper teens earnings. Uh, and I think the aftermarket business is also very positive for margins and pricing. So I like it and love the management. Um, just I would pick your spots on where you add to it. All right. Boeing also getting an upgrade. Uh, price target upgrade. 315 from 275 at UBS, also re reiterating the buy. Jim, I'm going to come to you on this one. You're a believer. Uh, I am a believer. Um, there's been a lot of good news that's come out of this. They've got their production, particularly of the 737 MAX, back on track after the summer fiasco with the aft bulkhead. 787 production also picking up. Order book looks good. Uh, and I think the catalyst that's remaining out there is China orders. I think in the last few months, particularly since that November meeting between Presidents Xi and Biden, you've had a lot of positive momentum that I think will come to fruition with a China uh, Airlines order sometime in the next couple of months. All right, shares up over 40% over the last two months. I remember on this show, you caught some heat for being so bullish on Boeing a couple months back. Now look at it, popping right now. I caught heat, me? Yeah, me. Yeah, you. <laughs> Moving on. That, I didn't think that happened. <laughs> uh, call on cybersecurity stocks by Susquehanna. Uh, positive on CrowdStrike, Palo Alto Networks. Brian, I'm going to come over to you. You own Palo Alto. We do. I think in this age of geopolitical pressure and, and having still having defense stocks like Lockheed Martin and Northrop, I think you have to be diversified on that side. And, and for us, Palo Alto is by far the best in brand. All right. Uh, also, Fortinet. Uh, Link, you on this one. I do. Under a bit of pressure during that throughout the year. Actually, cybersecurity hasn't had the year we all kind of thought it would. I know, but it'll have a decade uh, of strength. I think it's one of the, my favorite themes, actually, in technology. And Fortinet, they haven't executed well, and that's why it's lagged so, so significantly. But I think that's the opportunity. I think they can turn it around in 2024. They're gaining market share, especially in the enterprise, um, and they have a price uh, advantage for, versus their competition. So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt that they can turn it around. All right, shares up just about 1% right now. All right, coming up here on half, Citigroup is exiting the muni market. Shares of the bank actually pulling back today. Jim owns it. We're going to get his take coming up next. All right, welcome back to Halftime Report. Check out shares of City. They're down just about 1.5%. Under some pressure, the bank announcing it's exiting the muni market. City will stop underwriting and trading state and local government debt early next year. Jim, I'm going to come over to you. You own City. What do you think about this move? Well, it caught me by surprise, but I do have a lot of faith in Jane Frazier, the CEO at Citigroup, uh, as well as the management team there. They've made the decision that the economics of this business simply don't work, that the costs uh, are not worth the potential reward. And I think, frankly, the market over the last two years has not given Ms. Frazier and her team enough benefit of the doubt. You've seen her rationalize the international business. You're seeing her do some major cost cutting uh, now domestically in the business. And it's starting to flow through in terms of expectations for where the shares can be. That's why there's been a strong bid to the shares recently. I think it will continue. Uh, so, yes, the move catches me by surprise, right. but I have faith in Jane Frazier. Uh, market doesn't seem to love it. Uh, shares are up 10 percent over the last month. But again, down one and a half percent right now. Brian, you also own it. Streamlining strategy here. You think it's a wise move? We do. We were on the network here two weeks ago and said uh, we blew out our JP Morgan and, and added Citigroup and some regionals. 
We've owned Citigroup in our value all along. I think Jim's spot on, amazing management team. We love to buy assets, especially in financials, when they're reorganizing and they're cutting costs. That's the time to buy financials. And we think Citigroup, from an institutional perspective, is actually very under-owned relative to, let's say, J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Berkshire. All right, so you're saying it's a bit under-owned, just looking at it again. Forward PE of about nine and a half, almost 10. Steph, give us a sense. Is this a good entry place right now? They're cutting costs, they're streamlining. Uh, 4P under 10 right now? No. Be nice. Be nice. <laughs> Absolutely not. The dog's barking over there. There's a reason why it's reading at evaluation. Yeah, I've got a big dog going behind me here. Um, I, I just think that it's, it's going to take time. Yeah, it's, a, it's a big project that Fraser has to deal with. They are actually making some interesting changes to management which I think could help going forward, but I think it's going to be years before they can really turn this thing around. And in the meantime, I get a really well-run company at .9 times book in Bank of America or Morgan Stanley, which has capital markets and wealth management, and I like that combination very much for 16 times. So that's right now, but long-term, confident in this strategy to streamline the business, really focused on return and the core of the business? I don't know if I have confidence. I just think it's going to take a long time. Well, there we go. We'll probably just leave it there. Uh, again, shares of city down one and a half percent right now. All right, stick with us. We got final trades from the committee coming up on halftime. We are back on halftime time for final trades. Brian Belsky, you're hey. up first. Glacier Bank Corp, GBCI, five billion dollar market cap. It's a great bank out in Montana, clean balance sheet, clean low portfolio, uh, and one of our favorite small mid-cap financials. Farmer Jim. Well, Steffi just did a very good job of <laughs> sort of stating Making the bear case. Bad. The bear case, yeah, that too, but that's okay. <laughs> the bear case for the last two years on Citigroup. That was eloquently done. I'm going to take the final word on it and say Citigroup's my final trade. Steph Link. Sharon Williams, housing is one of my favorite themes for 2024 as interest rates come down. A couple weeks ago, I recommended Home Depot. I like Sherwin Williams. Total revenues are going to grow mid single digits, margin expansion, mar and market share take. Fun fact that was the Squawk Box trivia question this morning. Sherman Williams. Great. All right, that's going to do it for halftime. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit CNBC.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. I know how to run a hair salon, but for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. She's a small business owner too, so she knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today.